in terms of women and girls, if you think about it, I had to rationalize with myself to figure out I had been involved in almost all sports from swimming, I'd been an NFL cheerleader, I played basketball, and I could not realize why here I was middle-aged and I never ended up at a golf course. It just did not connect to me because I had played almost every sport. And I realized, well, no one ever invited you. So we took about making that change and said, well, we have to create programs that will invite them to come. If you look at the way women function and work in the world, we're not just going to walk up to a golf course and say, hi, I'm here, I want to take lessons. So you have to bring the golf course to the women and the girls, and that's what we did. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Clemmie Perry, who is the Woman of Color Golf founder and executive director. Clemmie, thanks so much for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. Thank you for inviting me to join. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure too. So from what I understand here, Clemmie, Women of Color Golf is a nationally recognized organization by the U.S. White House Champions of Change for growing the game of golf for minority women and girls. So Clemmie, to get us started here, can you tell our listeners, our mod golfers, a bit about yourself and your involvement with Women of Color Golf? Oh, well, sure. I'd be happy to. So I started Women of Color Golf in 2014. I was previously a corporate executive with the aerospace and defense company, and this was during a time where, unfortunately, I had gotten laid off and was given a severance package. And as I was traveling down to do contract work in Miami, my youngest brother found an old set of golf clubs on a trash pile, literally on the intersection of PGA Boulevard and Prosperity Road down in Palm Beach Gardens. When I came back to Tampa in between that contract work, my other brother was kind enough to give me a Christmas present to take golf lessons. And once I started taking those lessons, I just realized I did not see many minority women or girls that looked like myself. Right. So at that time, Colin, I realized that I had to do something and make a change. I realized half of my work and career life was over, but I could change it for the women and girls behind me. So I used my severance package to actually start Women of Color Golf. Wow. So had you never picked up a golf club before two years ago? I had never picked up a set of golf clubs prior to 2013. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> so so you're based in Tampa, Florida here. So, so really, you were taking this as an entrepreneurial leap here, which right. I love because I've done the same thing with the stuff that we're doing. I like to use the analogy as I jump out of the plane and build a parachute on the way down. It sounds like that's kind of what you've done. <laughs> That's what you've done here. So what parachute did you first build, if I could ask it in that weird way? uh, How did you then go from having this idea and realizing that you as the one seeing the the problem here, what were your first steps to get Women of Color Golf off the ground then? Well, so I'm glad you asked that. So actually, before I picked up a set of golf clubs, I was involved with Dr. Mike Cooper, who has 30 years experience. And so I was always going to some events he would invite me to where I was learning about African-Americans in golf. And that was the Black Golf Hall of Fame. So for several years, I was going and just kind of became intrigued. And it's through the friendship with Dr. Cooper that I was beginning to learn more about the sport of golf and African-Americans in golf. So I knew that I had an interest. And then when the layoff came, I said, well, I always wanted to learn how to play. So that gave me time to do it. I initially started it, you're right, because my background is in instructional technology and virtual classrooms. 
and I'd had a very successful career between aerospace and defense technology, but suddenly I found myself not getting hired. So I did. I just took a parachute jump and said, well, I've got to figure out something. And I knew I had a pretty good background in curriculum development and training design. And I realized, well, in order to fix this stratification gap of a lack of minority women and girls, you have to create your own and you have to design your own training content. And so that's what I did. I worked with a PGA professional, Jim Wright, out of Tampa, Florida. Uh, I took lessons and then I began to customize a curriculum, a five-week curriculum that would make it easy to, to guide that facilitation and instruction to include more women and girls. Now, with that, what was your first step in the startup world? And I work in that world, too. They call it a minimal viable product. You create something that has the basic ingredients of what you think will work, and then you test that. So what did you create as far as an event, or did you reach out to your friends and family to actually get them involved? So I'm, I'm wondering what your minimum viable product, the first thing that you did to validate for you to say, holy, holy smokes, there, there's actually something of value here. So tell me that. So the first thing that I did was I had to figure out, you're right, how am I going to get women, and particularly minority women, to get involved in golf? What I did was there was a young lady, Valentia Berry, that I was friends with at a, the community college. And she suggested that I begin to run the classes as part of a continuing education series at the community college. So like for extracurricular, you know, non-credited courses. Right. So we thought, well, let's give it a try. So I reached out to Hillsburg Community College. And we set up a golf program at the community college. We ran it for five weeks in partnership with an indoor golf facility and an outdoor facility as well. So I used a blended approach to learning. So our technique was we ran the classes as part of a partnership with the local community college. Okay. And it worked. The first three years, we trained over 300 women and girls to golf. Wow, that's incredible. So how are you now expanding this? It sounds like you've tweaked this and refined it and figured out what works here for you. Are you sticking right now to the greater Tampa area? Are you starting to break this out across Florida or even nationally? Or maybe you can tell us where you are now and what the plans are down the road with the future with Women of Color Golf. Well, sure. So our plans are, so we've done uh, primarily most of our clinics in the Tampa and St. Petersburg area. We have branched out to the Washington, D.C. area, and we are looking at expansion into Orlando. We've got some discussions going on with some interested participants in the Orlando area, and then we are looking at potentially also working with some PGA professionals out of Memphis, Tennessee. So we are looking to expand it in terms of making it a repeatable model that can be used you know, in other states sounds like you can scale this up all over the country here, which is exciting. I know it takes a lot of resources and organization to do that. As they also say, you don't want to boil the ocean. You don't want to do everything at once here or try to. You want to do this incrementally in a way that actually works. And it sounds like you also understand that partnerships can help that happen. And the one that you had first and continue to have with the community college is a great one. So speaking of partnerships, I know because he's the gentleman that introduced me to you is Steve Mona, who is the CEO of World Golf Foundation. Can you tell me a bit about your relationship that you have with him and the World Golf Foundation. Yes, well, Steve has been very key and instrumental in supporting and leading the diversity and inclusion initiatives for the World Golf Foundation and Golf 2020. And so I've worked with Steve now for a couple of years. 
on those various task force that he asked to engage community-based organizations to look at strategic ways to provide diversity and inclusion strategies to bring more minorities, women, people of color into the game. So he's been wonderful to work with. I have seen that through social media that he is very supportive with what you are doing here. And I also believe you have been, at least last year, maybe the year before that too, please tell me, with National Golf Day in Washington, D.C. You have been involved in that too, have you not? Yes, yes. Well, this was my, uh, actually this year was my first year uh, attending that event on Capitol Hill. Okay. It was just a great experience where we got to go and and speak with several congressmen, our local states, to talk about various components and the impact of golf um, in terms of the economic impact, the health benefits, just overall why golf is great and healthy for our community. So this was my first year attending that event, and they just do a fantastic job of coordinating So from the conversations you had on Capitol Hill, did you have any solid takeaways from that of people wanting to support you or opening up other opportunities, whether in your home state or in other states too, that can help you expand Women of Color Golf? Well, the takeaways from that is, you know, you do meet people like Elisa. You get an opportunity to do networking and you have access to people that typically you would not have access to. And then, of course, you become a change agent back in your own community to bring back those messages about the importance of golf and the industry and why you need to be involved, and particularly why minorities and women need to get involved in the game so that we can be key contributors and stakeholders to help influence and and grow it. Okay, with that, I want to expand a bit more with Women in Color of Golf. Now, that is a nonprofit organization that you have based in Tampa. Now, it's my understanding you also run Girls on the Green Tea. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Now, can you tell me the the difference between those two and what purposes each one serves individually and how they cross over collectively here? Okay, great. I set up two organizations. One was Women of Color Golf, and then the second one was Girls on the Green Tea. So, Women of Color Golf is primarily focused on adult women. And we train and try to get them into at least a half-day clinic or a basic five-week clinic to give them an overview and an introduction to the game just to spark their interest and to get them excited about wanting to play and learning to play. Our typical target audience for that, ideally, is a woman that has never touched a set of clubs, and we want to get them excited about playing and learning and what it can do for them professionally and personally, and also from a health benefit aspect. So just bringing that awareness to women in general. The Girls on the Green Tea program is designed for girls ages 10 through 17. And so again, with that, the women of color become mentors and role models from a professional level as well in terms of careers that they can go into and can serve now as mentors. The Girls on the Green Tea program, we primarily work with what we call our local community-based organizations. So we go to organizations that would service like girls after school programs. And again, that's for ages 10 to 17. And they learn the basic fundamentals of golf along with various life skills that are surrounded with that. So what is your onboarding program? How do you reach these women that and girls that have never played golf before? How do you manage to connect with them and then have them go through that, I guess in a business it would be the customer acquisition funnel, but in this case here, how, how would you do the equivalent of that to, uh, to get women and girls to come out and then get engaged and to retain them? 
So with, uh, again, with the women, primarily we did use the funnel of going through the community college. So they have a, a match right. network. So part of that is helping us to promote through the database that the college has as well. I'm finding now also it's becoming a lot of word of mouth through a lot of various sororities and business groups. So that's one pathway. Right. For the girls, it was pretty easy. We targeted those organizations that primarily had an after-school program where there were girls. Sounds simple so, enough to me. <laughs> Sounds like the way to go. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, you have to realize this was very interesting when I would be serving on the committees with the World Golf Foundation and other inclusive activities for women and girls, but particularly with golf. I guess for me, because I have a training background, I kind of did a real quick needs analysis and I could see the stratification gap. You could clearly see that we were not in that space and that that could go back for many reasons, even from historically why we were not involved in golf, particularly as minorities. But in terms of women and girls, if you think about it, I had to rationalize with myself to figure out. I had been involved in almost all sports from swimming. I'd been an NFL cheerleader. I played basketball. And I could not realize why here I was middle-aged and I never ended up at a golf course. It just did not connect to me because I had played almost every sport. Right. And I realized, well, no one ever invited you. So we took about making that change and said, well, we have to create programs that will invite them to come. The second thought is, if you look at the way women function and work in the world, we're not just going to walk up to a golf course and say, hi, I'm here. I want to take lessons. So you have to bring the golf course to the women and the girls. And that's what we did. We customized a program. We partnered with the community college. We created our own curriculum. And it's, it's actually working. Sounds like you've created a more convenient, fun, and engaging delivery system for golf there. That is working. That's great. Right. It, basically, you, you're right, Colin. I mean, we created an entryway and a gateway for women and girls to enter. If you think about it, how did they enter before? How do you typically get to a golf course? My thoughts on that would be, yeah, well, first you need a you need a vehicle, which not all people have, and usually need other friends that have already played before because it is extremely intimidating. It's very expensive, and it takes a lot of time. And these are things that I know that yourself and Steve and on the podcast here, we talk about a lot as far as the barriers that need to get knocked down, and people right. are, including yourselves, in order to grow the game of golf. But those are major impediments. And I know that uh, Lisa Godet, who you mentioned there, is the founder of Women's Golf Day, who we've had on the show. That's exactly exactly the things that she's been eliminating too with what they have globally with those events that I know you've been involved with too. So it sounds like you've got a good partner and good alignment there with Elisa and, and Women's Golf Day. Right. Yes, we do participate in her events every year. So when she has that, we make sure that we host an event and get women and girls out. But you have to create a way for women to enter the game. And clearly, unless you knew someone or grew up in that environment, we just don't walk up to the golf course and say, I'm here. I want to learn how to play. Right. No, that does not happen. <laughs> it just it just doesn't. And we, we tend to like, and just from a learning and training perspective, we tend to like things a little bit more structured, a little bit more guided approach. We take them initially to an indoor facility. We don't necessarily start them outdoors because if you've never played golf, sometimes a lot of women, particularly in Florida, and I think you're in California, so you can relate, but I can tell you in Florida, if you try to bring them in in the heat of August outside, it's not going to be a good experience. No. So looking at, for me, what was important is 
how would you bring in a young woman and a girl so that they are comfortable entering the game? You avoid the environment of 90 degree heat and humidity. So just really kind of looking at a practical way to start to train them and bring them into the game. And so that's what we did. And so, and so it's literally a difference. It sounds like it certainly is. So right now, remind me again, so how many events have you had so far? Or are you getting the, the traction? How many do you have or clinics do you have a month? Maybe you can tell us a bit about how this is growing and how often you have clinics for both uh, women and girls. Yes, so we run in alignment. We keep it very consistent. We run in alignment with the college schedule. So we run a clinic at least quarterly. So we kind of keep it in alignment with what the school semester is doing. We don't have to. We have some flexibility, but our goal is at least quarterly. We want to have a clinic or multiple clinics, either a beginner clinic or an intermediate clinic. Once they finish in an intermediate clinic, then we invite them to join the group, Women of Color, because our goal is we want the woman that really now maybe has had a couple set of lessons. They've now invested in clubs. They realize they like it. And so then the next transition and the things that we work on with Dr. Mike Cooper and Steve is how to get them out playing. Right. So to play, they would actually have to join the group and become a member. And so we host monthly outings at a local golf course with Tampa Sports Authority so that they can now start getting, and again, still keeping it very learner-based, starting with nine holes, not 18 yet, but just kind of slowly transitioning them into playing and becoming comfortable and then starting to learn the rules. It sounds like you're working them through the comfort level of golf very nicely there rather than just throwing someone in a pool and hope that they can swim there with <laughs> with getting them out on 18 holes of a long course with other people behind them that are getting grumpy because you just don't know how to, you know, you don't know the rules. How could you? You don't know the etiquette. So it sounds like you're, you're right. doing that. One of the interesting things in the conversation with Elisa with Women's Golf Day is the social aspect of that and the time that they spend with the four hours of Women's Golf Day there at all, all the facilities. And one of the things that she mentioned that lots of people have talked about with me is, of course, that women socialize much differently than men do. So it sounds like you've actually now created a social platform here for all the members of Women of Color Golf to get involved. So I'm assuming this has taken a bit of a life of its own now, that it's not just you at the helm that's controlling this, that I'm sure now that this is blossoming at a grassroots level too. Are you starting to feel that? Oh yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah, it is more than just me. We have several people. Lynn Morgan, who's a member of EWGA, and several EWGA members have begun to help serve as volunteers and even some mentors for some of the young ladies. So we have some volunteers that are absolutely helping. And then, of course, we have our board members. So it's not just me anymore. And then we have several PGA professionals that are also a part of the Women of Color Golf to help with the teaching and instruction of the class. So you're right, it, it does. I mean, you have to look at it strategically. You know, it's how would you run a, a training organization for golf? And the EWGA, that's the Executive Women's Golf Association, is that correct? That's correct. There you go. Okay. Well, I also understand that you have some ambassadors of the game, I believe, on the, uh, the Women of Color golf side. You have Shasta Averyhart. And, and for the girls, I saw a picture of her. I saw Lauren Leonard. Can you tell me about those two young women? Yes, yes. Well, what we wanted to try to do, Shasta is the fourth African-American woman that had earned her LPGA card, and she's actually here in Tampa. Ah. So I could not have gotten any luckier. Like you said, this was really the parachute drop. <laughs> so <laughs> that was Shasta. 
And she is a wonderful, wonderful young woman. And she has taught one of our clinics at the Center for Girls. And she comes out and speaks to the girl. And, and it's just so motivating. And her story is inspiring. She's been playing golf since she was seven years old. And we are just enjoying working with her and having her serve as an ambassador. And then Lauren Leonard has primarily just been virtual to us just to show different age groups getting involved. Lauren had an opportunity to play in the drive, chip, and putt in the Masters a couple years back. So, yeah, she just kind of serves as more of the youth role model and just showing that you can do it at any age. That's great to hear. So with that, to expand a bit on that, what you've done so far, it seems like you've been at it for a lot longer than just two, two and a half years here. So congratulations on all the on all the <laughs> things you've done so far. It's been, it's, it's amazing the traction you've got here and the partnerships that you've built. I love stories. Can you share with us any stories, success stories, both from the women's side and the girls' side of how what you've done with golf has helped change their lives in a, in a positive way or how that's impacted them in a way that's helped them even outside of golf with their careers oh, or even how, how, how they approach life now? Yeah, so absolutely. So the story I like to share is as part of initially when we won the White House Champion for Change, I had an opportunity to see a lot of young women that were just fabulous interns at the White House. And so as a result of that, we came back and we met with USGA and World Golf Foundation, but it was the USGA actually with Camille Ramos. And we talked about helping to help them find qualified talent for some of their internship programs. And so we helped secure a young lady by the name of Libby Grant, who is a sophomore, 19 years old, from Florida A&M University. And Libby became our first Women of Color Golf College ambassador. And with that, she interviewed and earned a very prestigious paid internship to work this year at the U.S. Open in Erin Hills. That's that's amazing. Yeah, that was just taking all that in there. That was that's a, that's a great story. So let me just say again, that's wow. That's that's a fabulous story there. Thank you for sharing that one there. I'm just wondering yeah. here, I would like to get back to the potential here of expanding this. So you mentioned you're you're looking at Orlando and taking the next step there with perhaps a chapter, if you want to call it that, of Women of Color Golf and right. and also girls on the green tee. As as far as this on a, on a national level, are you connecting with people on that level? For example, I know from some of the other work that I've done, someone like, I don't know if you're aware of Troy Mullins from World Long Drive there as far as an ambassador for, for the game and Troy, also for, absolutely. yeah, like Troy, have you spoke to Troy? Not spoken to yeah, I would love to. Oh, she's just fabulous. We've been following her on, on social media and we watched her in the Long Drive Championship and we are just so proud of her. Oh my goodness. She is amazing. Well, I could. I don't know her that well, but I can try to make an introduction or that's someone I can see that would be a great ambassador for what you are doing here with Women of Color Golf because she has game. I believe she's now looking to get on the Symmetra Tour and get her uh, LPGA card. Apparently that's her plan there, uh, along with continuing oh, all the good things she's doing with World Long Drive. Yeah, she's an amazing young woman and an amazing athlete. So I think that would be a natural connection for you there. Yes, I have read her bio and it is quite impressive. And she's quite impressive from what, what I've been seeing. Well, perhaps there's a chance you'll get to meet her. It sounds like the, the connectivity you now have on a regional and now on a national level, I think it'll only be a matter of time before you meet her and some of the other fabulous people out there that can help propel you forward here with Women of Color Golf. Great. And, I, and it, it would also behoove me to say Renee Powell 
has also been extremely supportive of our organization as well. She's just such a role model. So we've definitely been getting the right connections and we're just wanting to make sure that we grow the game and help bring more women and, and girls into the game. It sounds like you're doing that not only for the game of golf, but it sounds like the other work that you do is the empowerment of, of an enrichment of women. I know that you're involved with the extracurricular enrichment of marginalized girls. Perhaps you could tell us about how yourself personally and Women of Color Golf is getting involved in that particular initiative. Well, that particular initiative, like you said, just the fact that we're exposing them to internships, which never would have been available from the USGA. I mean, that would have been unheard of before. Right. From that particular internship, Libby then got a second internship that same summer with BMW and a company for Octagon. So in terms of just opening up and expanding opportunities for marginalized girls, some of these girls, particularly with the Girls on the Green Team program, Colin, they've never seen a golf course. Right. I mean, can you imagine? Like another, they've never seen a golf like course. like another planet to them. Yeah. Absolutely. And most of us, I've even had some women, they live behind a golf course, but typically we just drive by it. As an African-American woman, we are generally in the areas of basketball and track and field. And so now having programs like this, working with Steve Mona, serving on the Diversity Inclusion Task Force, working with Dr. Mike Cooper, we're able to open those opportunities that they just would have never even thought about. No, I love the work you're doing here, and I know you're going to keep that up, so I encourage you to do so. And it sounds like you have been recognized for the fine work that you've done. I think it was only a day or so ago that yourself (laughs) with the Executive Women of Golf Association members, you received a Lightning Community Hero of Tomorrow Award through the Tampa Bay Lightning. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. That we could not be more honored to be recognized by our community. That is one of the largest philanthropic gifts in the Tampa Bay area. And we are so thrilled about it that it is going to allow us in 2018 to actually bring in about a hundred new women and girls to golf. Wow. So good. <laughs> Those partnerships, actually, that are a part of that gift award would be the Florida Sports Hall of Fame, the Center for Women and Girls, and another organization called Where Love Grows. So we had an opportunity to share that tremendous gift award with three other local nonprofits who either had the same mission or believed in our mission. And so we're going to be able to do great things and create new relationships and new partnerships. So 2018 will just be very exciting because we'll have the opportunity to bring 100 women and girls into the game of golf. That is is amazing and exciting there. So congratulations on that. So you've just rolled out 2018 for you. Uh, As we finish up here, Clemmie, want to ask you as an entrepreneur there to think of the future even beyond that, let's say the next couple years or even five years with Women of Color Golf, of where you hope and dream that this movement that you're creating, where this can take you and the people that are involved with it. So what, what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts would be, it's like what we talked about earlier on the podcast. Our goal would be to, number one, look for strategic partners that would want to support the mission and then working with those partners, whether they're sports organizations like Florida Sports Hall of Fame or business organizations like the Center for Women and really beginning to tie those two together because 
when you can connect a woman in sports, you now tie in leadership capabilities as well. And so our goal would be to look for those strategic partners that would be interested in working with us to build these same kind of repeatable models of women of color golf in other parts of the country. Well, it sounds like it's there to happen because it sounds like there's a, a massive gap in the marketplace, if we can call it that, that in hundreds of cities across the U.S., there's really no one out there doing what you're doing. Am I correct to make that assumption? Actually, there are some other organizations out there as well. You have Black Girls Golf with Tiffany Fitzgerald, and you have Katrina King with Golf Women Me Business. You have LaJane Gould. Women in Golf Foundation. So there are several other organizations out there. Some of us do very similar process models, and then others may offer something a little differently, but Renee Powell has a group. So definitely there are others out there that are doing it. I just think that each of us brings our own uniqueness to what we want to deliver to our community. I guess the trick with this is having people in each one of those local communities, if and when you scale up Women of Color Golf, that need to be that local ambassador, that connective tissue. Otherwise, it just doesn't work because the passion that you have for your own community there in Tampa, you have to have people in each one of those other communities to really make the thing happen. Unless you're able to clone yourself. I don't know if you've got a replication <laughs> machine over there. <laughs> if, if you do, I'd like to borrow it. But if you don't, then you're, you're going to need all those other partners in those cities that are as passionate and committed to this as you are. And I know they're out there and those will reveal themselves over time with the connectivity that you're building here with women of color. Oh, that would be great. And you, you are absolutely right. So Dr. Burr and I were very cautious about strategically planning. How do you rev up so that it will be successful? But you're right. You need to have an ambassador in each one of those locations that can help you with the movement. Absolutely. So why don't we wrap things up here? But before we go, here's your chance, Clemmy, to tell our listeners where they can find out more about Women of Color Golf online and through social media. Okay. And yeah, why don't you tell us that, please? Okay, great. So for more information about Women of Color Golf, you can visit our website at womenofcolorgolf.org. And we are also on all social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under Women of Color Golf. Excellent. Well, Clemmy, thanks so much for your time today. This has really been enlightening for me, and I'm really proud of what you've accomplished so far, and I'm excited to follow you and, and to meet you, uh, hopefully very soon. Our paths will cross. I've got a feeling they will. Oh, I hope they will, and you're doing a great job as well. I love the podcast, and just thank you for the opportunity for us to, to speak with you about Women of Color Golf and sparking interest in the game for women and no, girls. It's my pleasure. You've got a great story, and I'm happy that I've had the opportunity to help tell that. So thanks so much, Clemmy, and have a great day. All right. Thanks, Colin. So that's a wrap for this week's episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Women of Color Golf founder and director, Clemmy Perry, to hear how entrepreneurial passion, combined with the courage to step outside your comfort zone, can create a positive social impact in one's community. To learn more about Clemmy's inspirational story, have a look at our show notes, where we've included links to the Women of Color Golf website and social media feeds. To hear more engaging conversations with the influencers and innovators who are boldly shaping the future of golf, go to our episodes page at modgolf.fireside.fm, where you'll find a diverse range of passionate people sharing their entrepreneurial and innovation stories. And please go to iTunes to comment on and rate the show to help us continually improve the Mod Golf Podcast. You can reach us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Mod Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Weston. 
Please join me next time when I travel to Las Vegas to cover the inaugural major series of putting championships. Bye for now.